Hello everybody, I'm HP Braincase. And I'm JR Skinny Cat. And welcome back to another episode of Re-DCAU, or for those of you who prefer Crimson Bovine, Red, Red Cow. Cow. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about episode 3 of Batman the Animated Series, Nothing to Fear. Written by Henry T. Gilroy and Sean Catherine Derrick, and directed by Boyd Kirkland. Well, Gilroy and Derek would only write one and two episodes of the series, respectively, Kirkland would go on to direct 20 more episodes, being a series regular from the director's chair. Originally airing on September 15, 1992, Nothing to Fear was the third episode of Batman the Animated Series produced, but the tenth to air, so it's got some timeline inconsistencies. For instance, Robin is nowhere to be seen in this episode. Yeah, no kidding. He's just poof. Disappeared. This episode introduces the Scarecrow to the Batman animated series mythos, who would be a returning character in quite a few episodes down the line. Yeah, I kind of liked this episode because it's got a villain that I'm familiar with. We've seen him in Arkham Asylum. We've seen him in Batman Begins, Dark Knight, played by Killian Murphy, one of my fake boyfriends. Right from the get-go, this episode has a completely different color palette from the first two episodes. It's got a lot more reds and yellows and not as much blue and gray going on. Yeah, it's a warmer palette. A side note about the music through the episode, I kept hearing this theme. I, it's, gosh, it's not like a theme in music in general, but just through this episode, I kept hearing na-na-na-na-boo-boo through the whole episode. Do you think that's just the composer teasing us about how awesome they are? I don't know what it's about. I really feel like for that, I would need to watch the episode again. I don't know if it was played consistently when Scarecrow was on screen or when Batman was. I'm not sure. The episode opens on a Gotham University charity book signing, and we see Summer Gleason, who you might recognize as Mommy Lawful from the previous episode, chasing one of the university professors into an elevator trying to interview him. Yeah, I like it that there is a female character that has a name now. That's good. <laughs> a reoccurring female character. When she approaches the doctor, she uses a communication technique that I like. I call it permission to probe, and that's where you ask someone if you can ask them questions. It makes people more willing to listen to what you have to say because they have given you permission to do that in the first place. Just as the two of them enter the elevator, they run into none other than billionaire playboy Bruce Wayne. Yeah, it seems like he's a disrespected playboy. Dr. Long, as it turns out, went to college with Bruce's dad and talks about how Thomas Wayne had big plans for his son. Bruce then goes into how he's sure his father would be proud of everything that Wayne Enterprises has become, but Dr. Long is less than impressed. Yeah, this is kind of foreshadowing for the rest of the episode because it deals a lot with that whole concept of Bruce Wayne's father's approval. Indeed. Dr. Long says that it's a good thing Thomas Wayne didn't live to see his son become such a disgrace, which I think is a little harsh. Yeah, ouch. The elevator stops, and Dr. Long gets off. Summer goes to chase after him, but before she goes, she assures Bruce Wayne that Dr. Long's just in a bad mood because the university's having money troubles. Oh yeah, she's making excuses for him. <laughs> That's how I see it. And that's when Bruce Wayne looks out of the glass elevator that they're in and sees a helicopter landing on the bank next to the university. And that's when we get to see the security guard at Gotham Bank. 
Yeah, this guy's totally lazy. It just fits the trope that you always see of security guards having the easiest jobs on the planet. The security guard is also reading a copy of a Tiny Toons comic book, which was another Warner Brothers cartoon that was on the air around the same time. It had been on the air for about two years at the time this episode was aired. The security guard is interrupted, however, by Scarecrow and his two thugs blasting a hole in the roof of the bank and dropping down. He tries to stop them, but gets blasted with the Scarecrow's fear toxin. This causes him to hallucinate that he is covered in the most poorly animated spiders I have ever seen. Honestly, <laughs> they only have four legs. Oh, seriously, I didn't catch that. Are you serious? Yeah, the spiders <laughs> only have four legs in this scene, and it's really dumb. So the security guard is incapacitated. Scarecrow and his thugs walk into the bank vault and start stealing the money with Scarecrow telling them to take what they can carry and then burn the rest because it's not about money, even though they're stealing money. <laughs> it's about making a point or revenge or something. It's about this time that we hear the thug who was supposed to be keeping watch shout that he's being attacked by Batman. And Scarecrow, in an attempt to stop Batman, throws fear toxin grenades at the entrance to the vault. Which would be great, except Batman has a gas mask because he's always prepared for everything, even though he obviously doesn't know who the Scarecrow is. Because he asks the Scarecrow who he is <laughs> as soon as he walks into the vault. <laughs> the Scarecrow has a line here that is tonally really similar to another line later in the episode that's much more important. He says, I am fear incarnate. I am the terror of Gotham. I am the Scarecrow, and we'll talk about the line that mirrors that a little later. Shortly after saying this, Batman and the Scarecrow and one of his thugs get into a little bit of a tussle, and the Scarecrow shoots him with a dart that contains the fear toxin. Even though his mask has been pulled off at this point, it's not really clear why that happens. Yeah. After he gets shot with the dart, Batman stumbles over and tries to grab the Scarecrow, causing the Scarecrow to drop the flare that he was going to use to light the gasoline he's been spreading around the vault. The fire starts to burn out of control. Scarecrow is gloating and then is like, oh crap, everything's on fire. Yeah, gotta go. Scarper. And they take off. And this is when we get an insight into Bruce Wayne. The fire and smoke in the vault coalesces into the image of Thomas Wayne's face talking about how Bruce is a disappointment and he's brought shame to the family name. Right. So that is Batman's worst fear, is his father's seeing him as a failure. I gotta say, for a guy who dresses up like a bat and goes out and fights villains like Two-Face and Scarecrow and mm -hmm. the Joker, mm -hmm. Daddy's disapproval? Mm-hmm really seems pretty low on what should be his list of worst fears. Yeah, but you know, it makes him more relatable. That's why I like Batman more than Superman, because he can be defeated, he does have weaknesses, and we're all like that. Fair enough. Batman gets really lucky here because the sprinkler systems in the vault kick in and put out the fire so he doesn't, you know, burn to death. It's about this time that the cops show up, led by none other than Harvey Bullock, Batman's biggest fan, mm. who notices that Batman is holding a piece of the Scarecrow's mask that he ripped off in the tussle and accuses him of withholding evidence. Which is totally true. I don't like Bullock. I really don't like Bullock, but 
I have to side with him on this one. Yep. And then Commissioner Gordon shows up and Bullock starts to tattle on Batman, but Batman is already gone. He's already effed off with the mask and Bullock is just like, well, never mind. Yeah, at, at this point, Bullock also makes a reference to Zorro. He calls Batman Zorro. And that kind of caught me off guard when I was watching it because all I remembered was the 1998 movie with Antonio Banderas and Catherine Zeta-Jones, which I had a feeling that that movie was made after this episode. And it's true. It was made in 1998. This episode was in 1992. So I had to look it up. Zorro was created back in 1919, which is crazy. I didn't know that that character existed for that long. And also didn't know that Zorro is Spanish for Fox. I didn't actually know that one, but it being Spanish for Fox and you talking about the Antonio Banderas movie uh-huh. reminds me that in my freshman and sophomore years of high school, I took <laughs> Spanish class yeah. and my Spanish teacher could not say his name without saying it, Antonio Banderas. <laughs> Which I always got a kick out of. Also, in regards to Zorro, mm-hmm. Zorro has been credited as a big influence on Bob Kane, the guy who created Batman. And in a lot of the Batman canon that's out there, the film that Thomas, Martha, and Bruce Wayne were seeing the night Thomas and Martha were shot is Zorro. Oh, super cool. Yeah. So following this scene, we cut to Scarecrow and his thugs in their lair, wherever that is. But we find out just how dumb the thugs are because they are seriously putting a Band-Aid on a broken nose. That's <laughs> that's all they are doing for the broken nose. As a medical professional, I can tell you that's not effective. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as one of the great singers of our time once said, Band-Aids don't fix bullet holes. They don't also fix broken nose. <laughs> we also immediately find out the Scarecrow's background here, which I think is not a great writing decision. Because it leaves no mystery to the character for the viewer for the rest of the episode. Yeah. But Batman doesn't find out who he is for like two thirds of the episode. I don't know. It's a little bit of a disconnect that I'm not a big fan of. Yeah. We also get to see just how sadistic the Scarecrow is in this scene. Because when his thugs are being kind of stupid, like they are want to do, what he does is he walks over and he grabs and tweaks the broken nose. Which is just, like, a really not cool thing to do. Yeah, kind of unnecessary. Kind of totally unnecessary. His official history in this series is that Jonathan Crane, the Scarecrow, was formerly a researcher and professor at Gotham University doing experiments on fear. He's been obsessed with it for a long time. And his experiments went too far, and he was kicked out of the faculty by none other than Dr. Long. When they were talking about the history of Scarecrow, they did mention when he was a teacher there, he did experiments on animals. And, you know, now he's moved up to humans. So uh, he's a psychopath. Officially, a psychopath. We get a cool visual device for the next scene transition that I really like. It's been used in a lot of stuff, but it zooms in on a newspaper that one of the thugs is holding and then zooms back out from that newspaper in a different location, in this case, the Batcave. Mm -hmm. The content of the newspaper is also important because it tells us that there's a museum benefit happening soon to benefit Gotham University. In the Batcave, Bruce is performing analysis on the piece of the Scarecrow's mask that he got. And 
we get to see the stuff that's around the Batcave, which includes a picture of Thomas and Martha Wayne. Of course. Bruce also looks incredibly haggard at this point when we see him. He's rubbing his eyes. He's yeah. he, he looks, hasn't shaved, has he? Yeah, he's he's got five o'clock shadow, which yeah. I guess in Batman's case is like five AM shadow. <laughs> he's gotta shave before he puts on the costume, right? <laughs> Alfred shows up and is just the king of sass. He sees the newspaper and he starts talking about the scarecrow and he says, Imagine that. Some maniac dressing up in a costume and going out at night to scare people. What will they think of next? <laughs> but in the same turn, he consoles Batman and just turns into Dad Alfred. And we love Dad Alfred, and I'm going to adopt Dad Alfred as my dad. Yeah, Dad Alfred is really cool. Bruce tells him that he is experiencing this fear toxin, and he's hallucinating about Thomas and his disapproval. And Alfred reassures him by saying, I know Thomas would be proud of you because I'm proud of you. Yeah. Which is really nice. Very touching. Now, there is a sad thing about this scene. Specifically, Clive Revel, the actor who voices Alfred in this episode and in the previous two episodes, uh-huh. this is his final episode on the series. Alfred will be replaced with a new voice actor in the future. The voice actor didn't die, did he? No, he did not. Clive Revel is actually alive and well to this day, kicking it easy at age 86. Nice. And has apparently been working from 1950 through the present. Oh, well then I don't feel so bad. Bruce also happens to glance at the TV in this scene, and we see Summer Gleason delivering her report on the fire and the fact that there's going to be another benefit for Gotham University. Unfortunately, this is when the fear toxin kicks in and... Bruce hallucinates about her calling him a failure over and over and over. Just reiterating that failing his father and the family legacy is a big fear. After this incredibly touching scene between Bruce and Alfred, it transitions to the aforementioned museum benefit for Gotham University. The thing I love about this is that the museum is literally just taking donations in a cardboard box right. of, like, cash and jewelry. Right. It's the weirdest shit. <laughs> and this is when we get to see the first instance of the Scarecrow's fear toxin being wildly inconsistent. Yeah, sometimes in the episode the gas is red, and other times it's green, and then it goes back to red, and then green, and it's just all over the place. So he's pumping green gas into the museum. It affects the crowd. And him and his thugs waltz through the building. His thugs are wearing gas masks. They walk up to Dr. Long and they take the money. And Dr. Long says, over my dead body. And that's when the scarecrow gasses him specifically with little things that shoot out of his finger. Yeah, and the gas is red. This is where we see that Dr. Long, like I'm going to guess every incredibly old person, is just afraid of turning into a skeleton. It's also a really cool part for me because of the music, of course. This part features a theme in music, which, oh my god, it's the most frustrating thing ever, ever, ever. I did so much research, I can't find the name of this theme, but it totally exists. It's the theme from Psycho, the shower scene, the re, 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 that is used in the section where Dr. Long is being affected by the gas. It's a common theme in the horror genre, so I figure it would have a name, but I couldn't find one. If anyone else finds it, totally let me know. I need to know this before I die. The technique that's used in the theme 
is called a glissando. Glissandos can be played by instruments that don't have valves or keys. So trombones and stringed instruments and slide whistles, these are the instruments that can do glisses. And since I play trombone, I am going to demonstrate what a gliss is. And to any musicians out there that are listening, I'm using a hush mute so that we don't piss off the neighbors. So it might sound a little funny. So that's a standard gliss. It can be used at varying speeds. In the theme, it's used very quickly and repetitively. It's actually one of the more fun and interesting techniques for me to use. I love it, and it's used a lot in jazz music and lots of classical as well. And following the incredible musical sting there, Batman shows up to face the Scarecrow and his thugs, but is thwarted because the Scarecrow's fear toxin is once again incredibly inconsistent. <laughs> Despite it supposedly making people live through their worst fears, all it does here is make people believe that Batman is in fact a giant bat and that they should attack him. I don't know why this happens. It's really dumb. If it were like a fight or flight response to the giant bat, you'd think some of them would run away. But no, it's literally just dogpile on the Batman. Oh yeah. The Scarecrow and his thugs use this opportunity to escape to the roof with Dr. Long and the money, and they board their blimp and are trying to fly away. Meanwhile, Batman is struggling with the mob inside, and a musical note I wanted to put in here is that they used the Danny Elfman theme for his escape from the mob. Batman follows them up to the roof after dispatching the crowd and grabs onto the hose that they used to pump fear toxin into the building. Yeah, now the uh, fear toxin is green again. <laughs> That's at least kind of consistent in that the fear toxin they pumped into the building was green, and the fear toxin coming from the hose is green. So Yeah, it so it's works. like mass gassing is green, but individual gassing is red? I don't know. Batman climbs up and boards the blimp and gets into a tussle with the thugs who start firing their guns inside of a blimp because, as previously covered, they're real smart. Geniuses. Yep. Predictably, this does not go well and starts an electrical fire. <laughs> During the tussle, one of the thugs gets knocked out of the blimp. Good guy Batman tries to save him, of course, even though it wasn't his fault that he was knocked out. He tries to save him, but it doesn't work. The guy continues to fall down, and then a really annoying trope occurs, and bad guy Anthony falls onto the canopy in front of a hotel or a restaurant, something like that. And he's fine. So Batman doesn't kill people still. He ends up hanging onto the pole coming out of the front of the blimp, and he starts to have a bad fear toxin trip and sees this gigantic red-eyed hallucination of his dad telling him that he's a failure and he's doomed and he's a disgrace to the Wayne family name. And this is actually when we get one of the most iconic voice lines to ever come out of this series. It's from the third episode, but it was in all the advertising I remember as a kid. Kevin Conroy is asked to say it a lot at conventions, and it mirrors the Scarecrow line like I was talking about earlier. The line in question is, of course, I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman! And 
I would be lying if I said I didn't get chills a little bit when I heard that line because that is the perfect nostalgia string to tug on for me for this series. Yeah, but how hilarious is it that he says that line when he's high as b****? Oh yeah, high as balls. <laughs> they tussle some more, then the Scarecrow tries to shoot Batman with another fear toxin dart and hits the second thug, who we find out is really afraid of going back to prison. And he starts to get claustrophobic and jumps out of the window of the blimp. You'd think, to certain doom, there's no way that two thugs can conveniently get saved <laughs> from falling to their deaths. But no, there happens to be a giant bonsai tree on top of the building that they're over. <laughs> it does look like a giant bonsai tree. <laughs> Following this, the Scarecrow jumps into a convenient glider thing that happens to be built into the blimp yeah, and flies away. kind of super cool that it's got this little glider thing attached to it. Batman grabs Dr. Long and the money and jumps out of the blimp and saves them both and everything is awesome and then he pulls out his fancy little remote and calls the Batmobile. When we see him next, he's in the Batmobile and he's receiving the analysis from the Batcomputer finally. And it's talking about all the chemicals that are found in traces on the bit of the Scarecrow's mask that he got. And this is when we get a readout of all the different companies in Gotham that would have access to that. Yeah, one of the companies is Star Labs. Star Labs is a company that has been around in the DC Comics universe for a long time, and obviously the DC Animated Universe since almost the beginning, but it's really prominent nowadays on TV in The Flash on the CW. Star Labs is the home of the particle accelerator. It goes nuclear and gives the Flash's powers. From this, he finds out that the chemicals are likely coming from this one place, Crane Chemicals, owned and operated by Jonathan Crane, former professor at Gotham University. So Batman, master detective, given the answer by his computer, <laughs> which I forgot to mention earlier, is actually voiced by the same person who voices his dad. So yeah, Thomas Wayne and the Bat Computer, both voiced by Richard Mall, which I think is a cool little tidbit that... Batman programmed his computer to sound like his dad. That's how I'm going to yeah. read that scene. Right. So he drives out to Crane Chemicals, where we see that as cool as that glider thing was, obviously the Scarecrow did not know how to fly it, because it's just a crumpled mess outside of the building. And yeah. You know, it just didn't seem smart to me in the first place that he was just going to be gliding through this major metropolitan city in between the skyscrapers, like, that was going to go over well. Inside Crane Chemicals, the Scarecrow takes off his mask and is super frustrated that Batman beat him again. And everything is going wrong, and then he hears a noise. One of his fear toxin canisters gets knocked over and starts spewing green gas everywhere. <laughs> and it affects him. And then he gets grabbed by Batman, who he sees as a giant bat as well. Now that I think about it, so maybe the green gas makes people think Batman is a giant bat? Oh, wow. Now I feel like I need to watch the episode over again. Anyway, Batman punches him out, and we fade to black, and we come back in on Commissioner Gordon's office, where Harvey Bullock is still on about how Batman is the bad guy. Yeah, you know, I think he's just a really insecure person because he always wants to blame everyone and throw everyone under the bus. And by everyone, I mean Batman. Yeah, pretty much just wants to throw <laughs> Batman under a bus. Might actually want to throw Batman under, under a literal bus. Right. 
So he's all like convinced that Batman is the bad guy, and he says, I'll bet my badge that Batman and Scarecrow are working together. That's when Gordon flicks on the light in his office, and we see Scarecrow hanging from, I guess, the beefiest ceiling fan in the world. I have never encountered a ceiling fan that could hold the weight of a person. Yeah, I was very impressed. And the Scarecrow has a note stapled to his shirt, mm-hmm. which is just the bat symbol. Yeah, that's all you need. That's all you need. And this is when we find out that Gordon can be just as sassy as Alfred. Because he turns to Bullock and is like, now about that badge. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of hoping that he would go through with it. But it's nice to see that Gordon is really getting sick of Bullock's shit. So it seems like we're going to end the episode on a high note. But there's one last scene. We cut to Bruce Wayne in Gotham Cemetery visiting his parents' grave. He puts two roses on the grave and walks away, and in a cheeky little thing the animators have done, his shadow, as he walks away, is shaped like Batman. The animation there probably works because he's rocking a popped collar. Batman? More like Bat-bro. Yeah. Then we fade to credits, we get the Shirley Walker Batman theme on the way out. That brings us to the end of episode three of Batman the Animated Series and the end of episode three of Red Cow. Yeah, I'm so glad we're doing this again. Sorry, everyone, for the delay. Yeah, if you've been following along as we release these, incredibly sorry for the long delay between episodes. If you've just found the podcast, um, awesome. (laughs) Thanks for listening. So we do have one last thing before we go out. We have to give this episode a rating. From 1 to 10 cows. Yes. I think that this episode was pretty much on par with the last episode, Christmas with the Joker, as far as quality goes. It introduced a major recurring villain. It had some things I liked and some things I didn't like. So I'm going to give this one a solid light brown cow, 5 out of 10. Wow, 5 out of 10. Okay. I went with 7 out of 10. I rated it the same as I did the first episode. And maybe primarily that's because the music stuff and because this dealt a lot with psychology, and that's my jam. All right, so that's our first dissenting opinion on the amount of cows on an episode. And that's that. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for episode three of Re-DCAU. Next time on Red Cow, we'll be reviewing episode four, The Last Laugh. If you want to find more of us, you can catch us over at twitch.tv slash hpbraincase every Sunday where JR and I stream horror games together. You can also catch me throughout the week. I stream solo on Wednesday through Saturday. Just a reminder, this podcast, my streams, and anything else we do is brought to you by the support of listeners like yourselves over at patreon.com slash hpbraincase. You can also find us on Twitter. I am at jrskinnycats. And I'm at HP Braincase. And until next time, may your nights be dark and your cows be red. Later. You gave the last one five? I think we both gave Christmas with the Joker five out of five cows. Wow, wow. Five out of ten cows. <laughs> next time on Red Cow, we'll be reviewing episode four.